always be prepared. That's the Cub Scout motto. As a child and as a Cub Scout looking ahead at life, I remember thinking about the sort of skills I would need because of the various life scenarios that I might find myself within. What sort of skills do you need if you're going to find yourself, for instance, in survival situations? Cub Scouts spent a lot of time talking about that. I would need to know how to tie a knot or start a fire because I needed to be prepared for a survival situation. If I'm being honest with you, there have been very few situations in life for which I've needed to rely upon survival situations. Of course, the internet is filled with people, and we might know people who have needed to rely on those situations, but they are not a common experience. We might reflect back on our childhood cartoons and remember how often topics like quicksand came up, and we thought, you know, there are going to be various times in life where I'm going to need to know how to escape from quicksand. Have you needed to fall back on those skills at any point in your adult life? Probably not. And so when we start talking about being prepared for things, sometimes our minds start to categorize those things according to the possibility that we will actually face those sort of scenarios, and rightfully so. There are so many things in this world that we are told you need to be ready for, you need to be prepared for this, and we know that we are unlikely to face those scenarios. But there are other topics that come to mind. There are topics for which and scenarios for which we need to be prepared because they are inevitable. And over the course of the next few weeks, I want to talk about a few life scenarios for which every believer ought to be prepared. We should not be caught off guard. We should not be surprised. We should not go through our life expecting that we would never encounter these sort of scenarios. And so today I look forward to talking to you about how we can be prepared to face temptation. Temptation is an obvious fact in life. It is an unavoidable fact in life. From the time you were a small child and you recognized that there was something that you wanted that you were not allowed to have, such as a cookie, and you wanted to consume it, you had the temptation enter into your mind of, well, what is mommy and daddy, what are they doing right now? Can I go ahead and put my hand in the cookie jar? All the way through our teenage years where we dealt with peer pressure on a pretty intense basis sometimes, and then through adulthood. And we might have thought that through life they would hit a point where we would no longer face temptation, where we would just arrive at the spiritual condition in which we would never be presented with things that would be tempting to our flesh. But the reality is that we do face scenarios like that. And if the Lord should tarry, and if we should each continue to live, even perhaps another few minutes, it's likely that we will face temptation. Temptation to think things that are not true to believe things that are untrue, to act in ways that do not correspond with God's revelation of what He is like, who He has called us to be as His children. Sometimes temptation comes to us in subtle ways, and we are not aware that we are even being tempted until it reaches a threshold where we say, wow, what what am I being enticed to do? Other times temptation seems so obvious that we wonder, how did the enemy think I would fall for that? 
But regardless of the specific scenario in which we find ourselves tempted and the specific action or thought that we are tempted uh, to dwell on or to commit, the question for us as followers of Jesus Christ today is, how can we be prepared? How can we be prepared to face temptation? Well, I want to go down a list of just a few practical ways that you can be prepared. And part of this will be how we respond in the moment. That's how I, I want to end. But before that, we're going to talk about how we can prepare our mind for this fact. See, if we don't prepare our minds and our hearts for the reality that we will face temptation, when it happens, we're, we are not going to respond in appropriate ways. We see this sort of response encouraged by people who teach others uh, practices such as survival skills. They will tell people, well, you can't wait until you're in a survival situation. All of a sudden, get on your phone and start Googling or searching using another search engine. Well, how do I build a fire? How do I escape from a wilderness? Or how do I alleviate a venomous snake bite? Well, you might not have resources available in that moment or access to Wi-Fi, for instance. So you might not be able to have the answers. You have to be prepared for when you find yourself in that scenario. If we know, especially, that we are going to face a situation, that it's not something like a venomous snake bite. I'm, I am probably unlikely to be stranded on a desert island, for instance, because I don't want to get on a ship and I don't want to fly over large bodies of water. And so it's unlikely I'm going to be in those situations. But you know, I will be in situations where I will be tempted, and you will too. And so with that, how can you be prepared? How can you prepare your mind to respond in appropriate ways? Well, the first step that I'm going to provide for you is that we need to be followers of Jesus Christ. If your nature has not been transformed, if you do not have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, you do not have the capacity to do that which honors God. That's not to say that the unbeliever doesn't do things that are morally acceptable or charitable or anything like that. In fact, we can see unbelievers doing wonderful things in our society, things that our culture recognizes as being morally good. But they never rise to the threshold where they honor and glorify Jesus Christ. And because of that, the actions that are done, although on a societal basis, might represent some form of moral good, they still represent us not doing what we have been created to do. Temptation isn't always doing something bad. Oftentimes we are tempted to not do something that we ought to be doing. We, all of us, were created to worship God and to enjoy his creation forever. And if we are not followers of Jesus Christ, we are not fulfilling that duty and that role for which we were created. Also, we do not have the power, if we, are, if we are not followers of Jesus Christ, we do not have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, and so we are not able to resist temptation, nor do we have any motivation for doing so. And so the first step there is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. The second is to take spiritual warfare seriously. I know we go through this life and we look around and everything that we see uh, represents the physical or material world. We look around and it seems as though there is no other world. But this is untenable for the follower of Jesus Christ. We know that there is a spiritual world. There's a spiritual reality. And there is spiritual conflict happening all the time in our own hearts and minds and in the world around us. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, 
Peter uh, warns people that they need to be sober-minded because the devil roams about as a lion seeking whom he may devour. Now, the context there isn't about being tempted to do something that's wrong, necessarily. The context, as we look at it going back into the fourth chapter, is the reality of suffering as a follower of Jesus Christ. That the enemy is so active in the world and working through others that he inflicts harm upon the follower of Jesus Christ. But what that does teach us is the reality that there is spiritual conflict. There is an enemy who seeks to undermine what God wants to do through our lives. He wants to attack. And so as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to be prepared of that fa- for that fact. The reality is that if you are a follower of Jesus, there are people around you who look up to you. They look at your example. They look at your profession of faith and they ask, does his or do her actions correspond with his or her truth claims. Does this person live like a Christian? It's always amazing to me the sort of moral standards that unbelievers have for believers. They have expectations of how we should live. And I don't think they're wrong to have those sort of expectations, but they do have them. And so if the enemy is able to be effective and to cause us to stumble, or if we led astray by our own weaknesses and our failure to prepare our hearts and minds for those occasions when we will face temptation, if we stumble in those ways in front of others who are looking unto our example, it gives the enemy a foothold. It allows him to create a barrier between those people and responding and saving faith in Jesus. It also undermines our testimony, it weakens our local church, and it hinders us from bringing glory to Jesus Christ. Now, I don't say that to scare anybody. Uh, thankfully, God is so gracious and so merciful that Even though we all stumble in many ways, and we all do, you do, I do as well. Even though we stumble in many ways, God is still able to work through us, and I praise the Lord for that. And I stand back in awe sometimes at what he's able to do through us, even in spite of our weakness. But if we don't take the reality of spiritual warfare seriously, if we just think, well, everything in this world is, is physical and there's a cause and there's a reaction, it's all physical, it's all, it all corresponds with their material world and there's no actual enemy out there seeking to harm me. The enemy is not trying to undo what God's desiring to do in my life. Then we are not going to prepare ourselves for action. We won't stand in, the, in, in God's strength and his power as we are commanded to do in Ephesians. We will not put on the armor of God because we won't believe that we need to protect ourselves at all. We will just believe that we go through this life and, and everything can be controlled on a physical level. That is not the case. There is, there is real spiritual warfare out there and we need to be prepared. So we need to be followers of Jesus Christ. We need to take spiritual warfare seriously. We also need to take holiness seriously. Uh, we live in a culture increasingly where believers are concerned about the reality of legalism and for very good reason legalism hardens the heart it it creates a false gospel where we believe in a works-based salvation it creates barriers to others coming to saving faith in jesus because they are taught through our example and words that they have to measure up by doing good enough works before god will even love them and so people are kind of resistant to legalism, and I and I appreciate that for the reasons I just gave. 
But the other extreme to that is that it doesn't matter what we do. Like if we just continue sinning, it doesn't matter to God at all. Paul actually addresses this very question in Romans chapter 6 where he says, do we just continue sinning because we walk in grace? Since we've been saved and we're covered by grace, not of works, do we just continue sinning? Is that okay to God? Does it actually matter in eternity? And the answer to that, of course, is it, it matters. It really matters to God. If our nature has been transformed, then we should desire to do good works. In fact, we're told in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Again, we don't do good works in order to earn a salvation or to secure a spot in heaven or anything like that. But because we are saved, because we are children of God, because we have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we have a desire to bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ, which means that we love him. And if we love Jesus, then he tells us in the Gospel of John that we will obey his commandments. In 1 Peter chapter 1, it tells us that we are to be holy as he is holy. He, thankfully, is creating that holiness in us. He has imputed the righteousness, his righteousness to us. We didn't have any. We just had filthy rags. As we go through this life, we are also being sanctified. We are increasingly being set apart as holy. We are increasingly becoming like the Lord Jesus Christ. We are told in Philippians chapter 1. And what a wonderful hope that is, that we are not limited by our failures and flaws, but instead we will continue to grow into the likeness of Jesus Christ. But are we contending for holiness? Is that the ideal? Do we want to continue to fight off temptation? Do we have a desire to bring glory to God? Or do we think that it doesn't matter how we live our lives? Well, if you're going to face temptation, we you better have the right attitude about sin and holiness to begin with. You have to understand that God is calling you towards holiness. He wants you to stand against temptation. He wants you to resist sin. He wants your testimony to increasingly bring glory to him. And so take holiness seriously. If you're going to take holiness seriously, then even before you face temptation, or perhaps after you have dealt with seasons of temptation, whatever it might be, but you need to have accountability partners. Ideally, at least one accountability partner. Now, this works out really well if you're a married Christian and you have a spouse who you can turn to and they can hold you accountable because you can be transparent with them. Outside of our spouses, I believe that it is important that we have people of the same gender, and that's very important, people of the same gender who serve as our accountability partners. Why is that? Well, we're told in Proverbs 27, 17 that iron sharpens iron, that we rely on others who are like-minded, who are spiritually serious as we are, who are our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need people to come across this life path with us and hold us accountable and remind us of the purpose for which we have been saved, to ask us, are we being faithful? Are we sharing the gospel? Are we reading the Bible? Are we spending time in prayer? Are we resisting temptation? We need people in our lives who ask us those sort of things. We also need people who are going to call us out. And I know that that's uncomfortable. We live in a culture where if somebody calls us out, what's our knee-jerk reaction? Well, who are you to judge me? That's one response. Another response that people often give is they start highlighting the sins or the struggles or the flaws and failures of the person who called out sin in their life. They say, well, who are you to judge me? Because look at the things you have done or said. 
I've heard people go back decades on that, by the way, when they're confronting somebody. I can't believe she called me out in my sin. I remember 25 years ago when she said this, as though it's relevant in some way, and it's not. We need accountability partners because we need people who can speak the truth in love to us. People who we know are invested in our spiritual progress. People who aren't just sitting on the sidelines in the in the cheap seats uh, throwing popcorn at us, uh, spiritually speaking, uh, and just attacking us and trying to tear us down. But we need people who can love us and can know us well enough that they see our limitations, even our failures and flaws, and they love us in spite of them, even as God loves us. And so they want us to do that, which brings honor and glory to God. And so we need accountability partners like that. If you don't have somebody like that, would I, I would love to encourage you to find one. If there's one thing that can transform your walk with Jesus Christ, it's having somebody who can hold you accountable. It's humbling. And it's not fun when somebody calls us out for something we did that was sinful. It isn't. It's it's not a lot of fun. And so I'm asking you today, I'm imploring you, I'm saying, hey, do this. And it it's probably not going to be fun when it happens. <laughs> so that's kind of a tough sell. But what it produces is so wonderful that it's worth the temporary discomfort. See, we want people to believe the very best of us. We want people to think that we are sinless and perfect in some ways, even though in our minds we know we're not, and we know that people see us for who we are, but we want to hear, well, you're the best, you're the greatest, whatever it might be. But, you know, we have to come face-to-face with that sometimes, and we have to own it. And if God is unable to send people across our paths because we are so resistant to that, then we're never going to recognize our blind spots. We're never going to see those flaws as other people see them. We'll never see the shortcomings in our in our testimonies because we only see what we want to see of ourselves. I want you to be like Jesus Christ. I want you to have people in your life who can highlight those negative things. Not Again, not to tear you down, but to say God has called you to more than this. God is empowering you to bring glory to him, but you need to quit doing this. You need to quit saying this. You need to go in a different direction. Also, you need to note your spiritual progress. See, I think one of the things that the enemy does, we go back to that thought on spiritual uh, spiritual warfare, is that one of the things that the enemy does, he continues to hold in front of our faces our failures and flaws. And as I just said, we have many of those. We all stumble in many ways. And sometimes we feel so beat down spiritually or we're just worn out or we've been fighting temptation that we start looking at our lives and all we see is failure. We say, well, I, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I gave that sign language to the other driver. I can't believe I responded the way that I responded. And in that moment, we just feel like such failures. And we say, I was saved 20, 30 years ago, 50 years ago, and I still stumble in this way. What is wrong with me? And we think that's all that we are. But you know, if you are somebody who journals, if you have somebody, if you are somebody who takes note of the areas in your life where you struggle in your walk with Jesus, and you start to take note of the things in life that Jesus has given you victory over, it is amazing to see not your work, not your power, but to see what Jesus Christ did through you. When I first uh, began following Jesus Christ again as a teenager after a period of backsliding, I made a list of things that I struggled with, sins that I struggled with. This was, again, not the focus and highlight on guilt or just how bad I am, but I, I really wanted to know, 
what are my shortcomings? What are the things that the enemy is going to be able to use uh, uh, to undermine my testimony to serve as a barrier between other people coming to saving faith in the gospel? And so I, I wanted to know. And so I made out this list, and I'd like to tell you that the list was short, but it wasn't. It was like 40 or 50 things on it, which is kind of embarrassing to admit, but it was a lot of things. And, and I'd like to tell you it was exhaustive, but it probably wasn't. There are probably many more things that I forgot to list or was unaware of at the time. But you know what's really encouraging is I can go back to that list today, still have it, and it isn't as though I've reached a point of sinless perfection. I have no sins I struggle with. That would not be the case. But what's amazing is there are a number of things on that list that I, not only do I not struggle with, but I don't even remember struggling with them. There were things that I, I can look back and I remember that there was a season in life where I felt like I could never gain victory over that temptation. I kept finding myself in this vicious cycle. I keep responding the same way. I keep doing the same thing. I keep putting myself in the same situations in life. And I would pray and I'd say, God, can you help me? Can you help me break this pattern? Can you give me deliverance? Can you give me victory over this? And now looking back, I can say, I don't even remember the last time I struggled with that. Jesus gave me victory over that. And so today, if I were to face, you know, a new temptation or a sin struggle, and again, we all do, and my list now would still have items on it. Those items might have changed, but there are still items on that list for me, and I trust for you. But now if I look at that, I a contemporary struggle of my of my own, I don't feel as though those things are going to have victory over me. I don't believe they will because I know they won't. And I can look back at my life and I can say, well, Jesus gave me victory over this or that when I was 17 years old. He gave me victory over a different sin struggle when I was 27. He gave me victory over another sin struggle when I was 37. So now as I'm 40, think about the things Jesus is able to give me victory over today. And when I struggle with something when I'm 57, 67, whatever it might be, I know Jesus can give me victory over that sin struggle as well. We need to keep in front of our eyes the victory that we have in Jesus not just the topic, and it's important, but, you know, Jesus gave me victory over sin, but Jesus gave us victory over specific sins. He has loosened our bonds to those things. We can walk in victory over them. Next, understand in humility your limitations. Again, I say this not because I want you to beat yourself up. I don't want you to make a mental note or to sit down and write out a list of things you struggle with or things that in which you find yourself uh, for which you find yourself tempted i don't want you to make that list so you can beat yourself up and say look at how terrible of a sinner i am no if you're a follower of jesus christ your nature his nature is yours you are a child of god you belong to christ that is what your identity is and so if you start from that vantage point then you, in humility, understand your limitations. You make a list of your limitations, again, either on paper or on a computer screen or uh, just a mental note. You do that uh, so that uh, you can recognize where the enemy is going to attack you. I believe, and this is my personal conviction, but I, I've seen this in practice, so just kind of a, an, an observational note, but people struggle with different sins. Um, now, I believe that any believer, is capable of doing anything in the right situation. I really do. Uh, I don't think any of us are exempt from ever being tempted in certain categories. And I, I've heard people say that before. I can't believe so-and-so would struggle with that. If 
he were a real Christian, he wouldn't struggle with that. If she were a real Christian, she wouldn't have said that. Well, she might have, and he might have done that. Yes, absolutely. Uh, because we are capable of stumbling in, in any way. We, Although we've been saved from the penalty of sin, uh, we still live among the proximity to sin. We live in the presence of sin. We are tempted by sin. Now, we are increasingly being set free from the power of sin, but someday we will be delivered from the presence of sin, but that is not today. Today, you can fall to temptation. But can I tell you that there are specific things that you know you are more inclined to be tempted by than others? So there have been believers that I've known, uh, that I've encouraged, that I've have held accountable. Believers have held me accountable. But there have been times where uh, people have had sins that they struggled with on a habitual basis. There might be some Christians who they could walk past an open cash register, and again, given the caveat I just shared, but but by and large, they could walk past an open cash register, and they would not be tempted to steal money. It's just not the temptation they would have. Now, they might be tempted to gossip. They might be tempted to lie. They might be tempted to lust. They might be tempted in many categories, but they're not tempted, uh, at least very often, to steal. For other believers... Uh, the temptation to gossip or to lie might not be there very often, but they might walk into a store and they see a cash register that's guarded and they're still wondering, oh, I wonder what it'd be like to uh, crack that thing open. I wonder what it'd be like to have what's inside of that. And that's just the way that they are wired. Um, so if you recognize the specific areas in which you are tempted, then you can begin to respond to those temptations by preparing your mind and your heart for action by memorizing scripture that corresponds to that. And I'm going to come back to that point in just a moment. But you you need to be aware of the specific temptations that you uh, are more likely to face, the specific ways that you find yourself stumbling even in sin, not just being tempted. Being tempted isn't a sin, by the way. Obviously, Jesus was tempted, but knew no sin. But you find yourself giving into temptation to specific uh, prompts or specific life scenarios. If that's the case for you, then you need to take an inventory of those things. You need to be prepared for them because you might be able to avoid those situations altogether. And I'm going to talk about that in just a moment as well. The other aspect of that is you understand your limitations. So you'd say, well, there are certain things that I am tempted by. They're not just, again, tempted by, but I, I will respond negatively to that temptation. I will I will sin if I find myself in that situation. I don't know why, but overwhelmingly in this moment, that's how I respond to it. You might also recognize some limitations that you have around certain people. There might be certain people who have a specific measure of influence or pressure that they placed on place on your life. And you find that when you are around them, you say or do things that you do not do in other audiences, uh, among other other people. And so you would say, well, this is a, a temptation I have. I, I can't be around this specific group of friends in this moment because I know that if I am, this temptation is going to arise and I'm going to fall into it. And so all of these things I have, I have provided as sort of background information to prepare for that moment when you might be in seasons of temptation. The next one is going to follow in, but it's going to have more specific application. But if you are going to prepare your mind before you ever face temptation, uh, uh, the next season of temptation, I should say, you need to take spiritual warfare seriously. You must be a follower of Jesus Christ. You must take holiness seriously. You must have accountability partners, accountability partners, 
you should note your spiritual progress. You should understand in humility your limitations, including the struggles that are unique to you, uh, the the things that you are more likely to fall um, into if presented with temptation on. But the next one is important as well, and that is don't put yourself in situations where you may stumble. Now, as I, I just said a few minutes ago, I think all of us are capable of stumbling in, in any way, and we are tempted daily, and we are not going to reach the point of sinless perfection in this life. So does this point matter? And the answer is yes. Again, you are more tempted in some categories or with some sins than you are by others. There are some temptations that for whatever reason you are more likely to respond inappropriately to than others. Do you know what those things are? Do you know when you are likely to stumble with those? When I was in youth ministry, one of the things that I would encourage youth uh, to do quite often or to avoid, I would encourage them to avoid going parking with somebody of the opposite sex. Why? Because if you go parking with somebody of the opposite sex enough times, I don't care how strong of a follower of Jesus Christ you might happen to be or how spiritual you feel or how you fought off temptation enough, you put yourself in that situation enough, guess what? You're going to sin. And that is true of everybody who's ever lived, by the way, uh, uh, except the Lord Jesus Christ, who, of course, knew no sin. All of us will sin inevitably if we put ourselves in that situation. For this reason, by the way, Billy Graham would never be alone with another woman because he didn't want to give the, de the devil a foothold. He didn't want to give the enemy a foothold into his life because he knew I could stumble. It could undermine my testament. I mean, even if somebody saw and I didn't sin, there could be questions or concerns about my testimony. And so don't put yourself in situations where you may stumble. What would be some examples of that? Well, say you're at work and you know that you, you stumble more frequently with gossip than some other sins. And you know that there is a specific coworker that you have that if you're around that coworker, you just find yourself tempted to gossip. And so what you could do is you could avoid that coworker if at all possible. That doesn't mean forever, but that means for a season until you grow and gain victory over this sin struggle, you might have to remove yourself from some situations. I've counseled many men through the years on the topic of internet pornography. One of the things that I always encourage is don't have uh, private access to your computer without any accountability from your spouse or another accountability partner. Uh, make sure that somebody is aware of what you are looking at. If you are a married man, don't go to bed after your spouse. Now, I'm not, by the way, preaching that as a legalistic reality. I'm talking about the advice I give in this specific context, so please understand that. But oftentimes when people struggle with a sin like that, they do so after their spouse has already gone to bed. They're alone, it's dark, it's late at night, and people seem to be susceptible, more susceptible to night, uh, to struggle with certain sins at night. And so avoid that situation altogether. Learn to get a different sleeping pattern. Don't go on a computer, at least. You can't sleep. Do something else, but do not access a computer or a smart device because you are more likely to fall into that particular sin. And so I just encourage you, if you know that there is a specific context in which you struggle with sin, I struggle with responding this way in this situation, and I find myself sinning when I'm in that situation, then avoid that situation. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with an accountability partner. Be honest before the Lord if you want to gain victory over that sin. The next, read and memorize Scripture. 
See, if we understand our limitations, this is where this starts to flip the temptation on its head. If we understand where we are uniquely tempted, do you know what we can do? We can combat the enemy's lies with the truth of God's word. See, we are tempted because we we go astray when, tempta- when tempted because there is something about the temptation that's appealing to us. There's something that offers temporary gratification or pleasure. And so if we just allow those thoughts to continue to bombard us and we never respond with the truth of God's word, inevitably those lies are going to creep in. As followers of Jesus Christ, we have access to the Bible. We can memorize scripture. I would just urge you can do a simple uh, search, a search engine search on whatever sin struggle you, you might be facing you can, mem- you can find a number of passages that respond to that. You can reach out to me, whether you're a member of the church I pastor or not. You can reach out to me and say, Pastor, what verses do you recommend I check out so that I can memorize and I can respond to the enemy's lies? Years ago, I found that when I felt attacked, I would respond with sharp rebuke or words or a nasty, nasty response. And one of those times... I said something I really regretted saying. And in the moment, I, I had that question pop into my mind. Where did that come from? And I thought, well, it just, you know, it just popped up. These words just like popped out of my mouth. Like I just opened and boom, they were there. Like they didn't come from some. Well, they, they do. Jesus talks about how the heart draws, um, that it, it draws from, our mouth draws from our heart. It, we produce fruit in accordance with what we are. Uh, the principle there is like if you go up to an apple tree, it doesn't grow tomatoes. It, it is an apple tree, so it produces apples. If you're a good tree, you produce good fruit and so on and so forth. And what I, I came to realize was that there was a problem with my heart. Now, that's good news because, if again, if we have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, we can gain victory. And so what do we do with that? I started memorizing verses that dealt with pure communication, that dealt with dwelling on the pure, not dwelling on the negative things, not dwelling on the harm or on the hurt, but dwelling on what Jesus Christ is doing in my life. I started dwelling on pure words and what encouragement does. And I started dwelling on these things and on these specific Bible passages. And, and when I would be tempted to respond in certain ways, I started to train my mind to respond with not these nasty words coming out, but let me pause. Let me remember that specific verse. Let me say that over before I respond and then consider how did my response change? Well, pretty soon I found that I wasn't responding the way that I used to. Jesus, when we look at his example, when he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness, what did he do? Well, he quoted scripture back at the devil. If it was good enough for Jesus... It is good enough for you and I. We need to memorize scripture. Please don't say, I can't memorize. You absolutely can. Can I tell you this? My kids, I don't know how many Pokemons there are. I don't even know if that's the right term. My kids have memorized each of the names of those. You will drive down the road today and you will sing songs that you have not heard. If Just flip to a random radio station and you will hear a song that you haven't heard in 5, 10, 15 years and the words that start playing, guess what? You will recount those words. You will sing along. You'll at least remember enough to stumble through the song. If we can do that with music, what can we do with the word of God? Can I encourage you to memorize scripture so you can respond? The final two things I'm going to give you as pieces of advice so you can be prepared for when you will face temptation. In the moment, in the moment when you are tempted or even leading into it, pray for help. 
We know that the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 8, that he gives us strength in the midst of our weakness, that he interprets our inner groanings and presents them before God the Father as a prayer. So even if you don't know exactly how to pray, as you go to the Lord in prayer and, and reflection, offer these topics up to the Lord and say, Lord, I want victory over these areas. I can't do it in my flesh. I can't do it on my own. I've been trying too long. Too long. God, I hand this over to you. Do that and see how God transforms your situation. And the final one, if you are in the, in the face of temptation and it seems to be so strong and you think, I can't gain victory on, over this, I don't know what to do. If I stay here one more minute, I am going to sin. Can I tell you what you ought to do? You ought to run. Remove yourself from that situation. Whatever that situation might be, if you're in a relationship that's not healthy and you can't help, you just find yourself, no matter what you do, you struggle in sin. I'm not talking about a marriage, by the way. Um, you find yourself in, in struggling in some way. Remove yourself from that relationship, at least temporarily. If you are somebody who you find yourself uh, tempted and you're in a scenario and you feel cornered by the enemy, run out of that situation. Joseph fled when he was tempted by Potiphar's wife. He didn't stay there in the house. He didn't stop and consider, would this be pleasing to me? What would the consequences of this would be? No, he just ran out of the building. There are times where we have to do that. Spiritually, there are times where we have to literally do that. We have to remove ourselves from the situation because we know if we remain there, we will sin. So we have to prepare our minds for that reality. There might be a time when I have to run from the situation. I want to encourage you. There will be times when you will face temptation. There will be times when you will stumble and fall. But those do not define your life. They do not define your walk with Christ. You have the opportunity to repent of those things, to recognize that they were sinful, that they undermined your testimony. You are able to gain victory over those and to continue to walk in victory over them. That's what I desire for your life. And because I desire that for your life, for your walk with Jesus Christ, I share these things so you can be prepared. I look forward to talking more with you next week about scenarios for which we need to be prepared as followers of Jesus Christ. May God bless you.